Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. so good to be here again today on the Aging Fearlessly program and thank you everyone for tuning in. I am really lucky again to have a fabulous guest and I want to talk about taking chances in life or taking life's chances. It's, you know, we we live our lives sometimes so safely and we forget to take a chance in life and really the good things happen when you take a chance. My guest today is Jane Stevenson. She's a retired veterinarian. Is that how you say it, Jane? Yep, veterinarian will do. Veterinary surgeon. Veterinary surgeon. (laughs) She's from the UK. She lives here on the northern beaches and she has some amazing stories to tell. And so welcome, Jane Stevenson, to the Aging Fearlessly program. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your start in life, because you're not Australian. Well, I am Australian, of course, and <laughs> British, but no, I was uh, I was born in England to, to very Irish parents, Northern Irish parents. Uh, I was born before the war started, um, the Second World War in 1936, and um, brought up during the war, we lived quite near Liverpool, so we were fairly close to some of the bombing, which was so exciting for children. <laughs> I can't imagine it. You know, there must have been an element of scariness, but yeah. Not to us. We didn't think about that at all. It was one day a bomb dropped in a field near us, which missed Liverpool, and it dropped in a field. So that was so exciting to explore this big big crater in a, one of our fields. And I was brought up in the country and um, have always lived in the, the countryside till I moved to Sydney, of course. And uh, it was it was a wonderful childhood because we'd disappear off in the morning in school holidays. We wouldn't come back till night time. Nobody knew or cared really where we were. We played in, in the streams and we climbed trees and we rode bikes and went over the handlebars and cut ourselves, but nobody rushed to us with Band-Aids and antiseptic. It, we were so free and I'm so grateful for that. Did upbringing. you wear a helmet on your bike? Goodness, they hadn't been invented then. <laughs> I'm just laughing because something I heard recently about Australia is one of the only two countries that wears helmets on bikes. Yes, I heard that too. And apparently the, the low number of women riders is due to the fact they don't want to spoil their hairdos. <laughs> well, I'm always tempted not to wear my um, helmet on my bike, but then I think about the fine. But, you know, similarly to you, even though I was born in the 50s mm. and am a baby boomer, I can relate my childhood to those Mm. times when I left home on my horse at seven in the morning Mm. and the rule was be home before dark. Yes, yes, don't bother about lunch, but be home for dinner if possible. And Mm. I usually turned my mobile phone off during those times because so mum couldn't contact us (laughs) Well, of course they hadn't been invented in my childhood. (laughs) I think, how did we communicate back then? And for the youth coming through Mm. today, they must have no idea how we... 
how our well, parents we didn't. felt. Well, we, no, but I don't think they cared much because there weren't any obvious dangers. You could fall out of a tree, I suppose, and break your neck, but we didn't ever do it quite as seriously as that. Well, I remember, Jane, one day when my... Well, we were riding, we used to ride for a racehorse trainer in uh, Randwick and my sister was galloping a little stallion and he threw her off and jumped on her and broke her ribs. So here I was with mm. two horses and her laying on the ground. What do you do? Well, exactly. What do you do? I mean, I used to gallop my horse all over the countryside, jumping hedges and fences and gates and um, never had any serious accidents. But if there had been one, I don't know what would have happened. Uh, well, you didn't <laughs> even have, I guess... Well, we had landlines, when I'm talking about, Mm. so you could race to a house nearby and call on a landline. Well, there weren't any houses nearby, you know. It was out (laughs) in the wilds. I was in Randwick at the Bullring when this happened, but there were houses. (laughs) I just think it's hilarious. Mm. But what a great way to grow up. It was wonderful. In the country. Mm. And that freedom, I think, makes people very creative. I think so. It also makes you strong in a way that there's no no one going to rush and help you when things go wrong you just uh, work out a way of coping with it and uh, makes you very independent and I think it's done me a lot of good. <laughs> so you took a lot of chances when you were young? Yes I guess so. Yeah yes. what was your favourite thing to do on a on a weekend out in the country when you were a child? Well I guess it was going on a bike ride somewhere you know and then then climb trees that's basically all we did you know we didn't have parents who took us to swimming and dancing and all these things they do these days um, we just went out and made our own fun and uh, so our favorite thing was to leave leave the house <laughs> um I have been known to climb trees around here too and mm. I've been photographed many many times <laughs> up a tree <laughs> I love it still too <laughs> not so good at it now though no, it's hard. I know I went out to West Head a few months ago and I was climbing some trees out there and I got up in one tree and I did struggle. <laughs> it's not something I say you should do. No, but you must have come back with ticks if you were at West Head. No, I didn't. No, but um, yeah, I believe there are a lot of ticks out there. No, I've had a few there. <laughs> so, Jane, before we go on to you becoming a vet mm-hmm. and what you did, the first song we have is Glitter and Be Gay. By? Mm-hmm. By Leonard Bernstein, who is, um, I think, a master composer. He, everyone knows he wrote West Side Story, of course. But this is from a, a, a opera of his called Candide, which is based on a French novel. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful show, as usual. I'd go anywhere to see anything by Leonard Bernstein. Very difficult song. It's for an operatic soprano, and it's not easy. It's a very funny song. Because it's sung by um, one of the stars of the show, Cunegonde, who is, has spent her whole life as somebody or other's mistress, different people. Mm. <laughs> and um, she's lamenting this life as a mistress. And then suddenly she perks up and looks at all the jewels that she has gained living this life as rich people's mistress. And so she sings this song, first of all, lamenting the misspent youth and then looking at the benefits. Welcome back. You're listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen on 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. That's a very emotional song, Jane. <laughs> it's such a funny song. It needs to be seen to get the to, to appreciate it totally. But that was sung by a wonderful, wonderful Australian soprano, Emma Matthews. 
wonderful operatic soprano. I could just imagine her on stage yes, and her, her, yes. her body language. Exactly. And when she's singing the joyful part, she's swinging her pearl necklaces around and wrapping them around her neck. And well, <laughs> I think you've seen this many times, yeah. I have. I'd go anywhere to see it if it comes up again. <laughs> I want to talk about your study. Now, I, th- I know a lot of people when they're young children, they say, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a you know, musician, I want to be a vet. Was that something you always wanted to be? Well, funnily enough, I, I mean, I went to a wonderful school in Northampton, which is in the Midlands in England, in, in Northampton, Northampton High School for Girls. Was that and a finishing school for young ladies? Oh, no, not at all. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and it had a wonderful tradition of languages. So there I was really being trained up to go to university and, and study languages, uh, uh, Latin, which is the most marvellous thing. It stood me in good stead my whole life in different ways, which may come up in this discussion. French, Spanish. So I did my A-levels, which are the equivalent of HSC here. And I was all trained up ready to go to London University or some Cambridge, Oxford maybe. And I suddenly thought, I don't want to do that. I want to be a vet because I'd always ridden horses and galloped about the countryside. And uh, so I went to the teacher, who was the deputy headmistress, very formidable woman, said, I actually think I want to be a vet. And she burst out laughing in my face. (laughs) She couldn't believe what I was saying. Linguist to vet. Exactly, yes. So anyway, that was my decision. And I got into the Royal Veterinary College in, in London and... I suppose you could say the rest is history. <laughs> well, what year was that? Oh, um, it was 50... Uh, I graduated in 1962, so it was 56 because it was a six-year course. Okay, that was the year I was born. Really? Oh, very good year. We got TV in Australia that year. Oh, yes, yes. Um, we didn't have it, of course, then in England, but uh, eventually it came. <laughs> yeah, so, well, that's fascinating, such a, a shift. But when I look at your obsessions in life... There's a lot of obsessions like to do with sport, horse mm. riding, etc. So bushwalking, abseiling, gardening. So mm. that fits in you just your love of horses. I think that yes, and not just horses, just natural history generally and the countryside I imagined and I was right that it would be a job which took me out into the country a lot because I was in practice in various rural parts of England and um I think yes, uh, I think I'd always been thinking about it. So I went. I, I, what I didn't say was that I did go and work for the local veterinary surgeon in, in the holidays, you know, just voluntary work. Yeah. And that really cemented my desire. I loved the work and um, I've loved it ever since. And large animals. Do you like working with large I animals? I do, I do. But uh, And when you first go into practice, you usually work with both. You do in, in Britain anyway and uh, particularly out in the country. So I did both. But I was I love surgery, very keen on surgery and uh, and sewing and needlework, I might say. Oh. <laughs> go together rather in some ways. You've got to be a little bit creative, don't you? You have to be creative. <laughs> and so in the end, I graduated towards just small animal, domestic animal work. And I loved it because there's lots of surgery. It's a fabulous job. Anyone who's wondering whether their child should become a a veterinary surgeon or not, do it because you can get a job anywhere in the world and you never know what's going to walk into that door, through that door next. And you're also working really with families who love these animals. Absolutely. You're working with people as well. And it's sometimes very moving and very sad. Sometimes there's great joy, but you're helping people as well as the animals and I love that about it. 
While we're talking about becoming a vet, what's your thoughts on education? Well, to me, it's one of the most important things in the world, but I don't necessarily mean just formal education. I think um, people bringing up children are so responsible for their education from the day they come out of Mm -hmm. the womb. In fact, before that, because um, my family is all very musical and I know I was learning singing and piano and cello while I was expecting them all I've got four children and I know that um, sound waves pass through fluid and I think babies in the womb are very sensitive to sound and I think the education begins there hearing talking and particularly music and my children were all brought up that way so I think preschool education is vitally important. When do you think we should stop learning? Well, I would, of course, the obvious answer to me is never. I mean, I'm, I'm learning all the time, mm-hmm. learning all the time with me the too. different jobs I do. Yes, yeah. People talk about lifelong learning mm. these days oh, and the benefits mm. of lifelong learning. Yes, yes, enormous benefits. And I think it's also very good as an example. I mean, I have grandchildren um, and the fact that I'm so fascinated in learning more particularly about about plants and animals and uh, etc and fishes because I love snorkeling I think it brushes off on them and they're fascinated by it too I think it's good for young people to see that adults are can have an obsession which I tend to have had a lot of no there's only a few here Uh, I'm counting at least 15 (laughs) including natural history botany Mm. gardening snorkeling bushwalking abseiling theatre There's so many. Yes, music, of course, is one of the big ones. Yeah. So we have so much to talk about. I want to jump forward from being a vet in the UK to taking a leap or sailing Mm. over the ocean and being in Australia. Mm. Fill that gap for me, please. Well, when I graduated, well, no, go back further. All my life been fascinated by maps and I used to sit as quite a little girl with the atlas open pouring over these faraway places with the marvellous names and funnily enough I noticed my little granddaughter who's now six has spent her childhood like that too and the place I always alighted on was Australia. It looked so big and vast and empty. <laughs> I thought, oh, the wide open spaces, I'd love to go there. So anyway, I graduated, I went into general practice and um, I had earned enough money to actually go and I thought, why not? So what I did was I booked a ticket on a 12-passenger cargo ship hmm. from Liverpool and I still say that's probably one of the best things I've ever done in my life because I got on this ship and there were only 12 passengers and we went through the Suez Canal and all over the place and came down eventually to Hong Kong. And I had to get off there because that ship turned around and went back to Liverpool again. Yeah. But, of course, the wonderful thing about cargo ships, particularly little ones like this, which was 4,000 tonnes, I think, it stops in all these tiny little, tiny little um, towns and uh, little ports that you'd never see otherwise on a, on a big liner. Um, and you see so much happening. Our ship mostly was, was um, moving timber around. It picked up a lot of timber uh, in the islands because from Hong Kong we then came down over Australia and then down uh, the east coast of Australia um, and all through the islands. Um, 
Borneo, the Philippines, and all these wonderful... And you didn't really feel like a tourist, did you? I, well, we weren't tourists in a way, no, because when we got to a port, we'd all get off and the crew would get off. We ate with the crew on the ship. You could go anywhere on the ship you wanted. You could lean over the, the prow and Fantastic. see the dolphins leaping. Awesome. And marvellous. Such an exciting How thing. How many months? Two and a half months and it and took all together. Mm. A lot of reading while you were on there? No, mostly just looking at things and, you know, and laughing. A bit of reading, yes. A bit of reading, I suppose, but mostly dashing around and looking at these strange places. I need to just stop there for a minute. We have a song, I still call Australia Home, mm. by our very own... Of course, our very own... Peter? Peter... Alan. Alan. <laughs> and isn't it It's a, an iconic um, song that Qantas mm. promotes as well, used well, to promote Qantas. Yes, I loved it long before then. It always makes me cry because, you see, I'm very torn between two countries, between UK and Australia, and I have terrific nostalgia for Australia when I'm not here and terrific nostalgia for UK when I'm there. But it ends up I still call Australia home and... Uh, uh, pardon me if I cry, I'll try and do it quietly. <laughs> well, I'll turn your mic off so no one can hear you. You can cry all you like. I still call Australia home. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly. Jane, you'd have to have no emotion for that not to bring a tear to your eye. I think that that's true. Yes, yes. It, it's it's um. I think it's a wonderful song. It makes mm. you very proud, doesn't it? Of it does. Australia. It does. It, yeah, yes. it's a it's a beautiful song. The words and the lyrics and the and the you know the actual music is, the, yes. is fabulous. I think so. It's a beautiful melody. You mm. landed in Australia off a cargo ship. I want you to tell us about what happened from there, um, being a vet, where you lived, because, you know, I need to sort of get through this so that we can find out more about mm. some more things that you're mm. very, very interested and very, very good at. So once you landed, what happened? Well, the first thing I noticed was Sydney Harbour <laughs> sailing in through oh, the Oh, you couldn't have noticed that. I could No, no. <laughs> uh, absolutely gobsmackingly beautiful. I'd never seen anything like it. Full of... Yachts and sailing dinghies and ferries and cargo ships like mine and liners. Just Did you pinch yourself? I really, yes, I, I just about had to. I was very lucky. My parents, who were Irish, um, had some uh, very dear Irish friends who lived in Sydney. They met me from the boat and they took me to live with them in their house in Greenwich, which is also on the harbour, and um, which was lovely. And I lived there until I found a place to live. But uh, the first thing I had to do, of course, was find some work. And so it's very easy being a vet, particularly a, a London graduated one. It's rec recognised all over the world, the degree. So I did a lot of locums. And, you know, when vets go away, they need someone to look after their practice and do the work. So that's what I did. Very easy to find work. Um, and... Um, I kept thinking about these sailing boats. <laughs> yes. I can see another obsession uh, coming out you, here. It's, you are quite right. I thought, oh, I've got to be in this. So I looked in the paper, the Sydney Morning Herald, at the advertisements. I saw there was some um, 
uh, a little sailing boat called a heron, which is interesting mm-hmm. because heron is my maiden name. That was my, oh. my name at the time. Uh, for sale in Hurstville. And so a friend of mine who I'd, I'd met through work um, took me out um, to see this. I thought, oh, I might even get that. It's very cheap, little wood, beautiful little boat, though. And I bought it. And uh, I was living in Cremorne by then, Cremorne Point, and I had to... Um, I thought I'm going to join a sailing club. I joined Balmoral Sailing Club. Beautiful area to join a sailing oh, club. Amazing. Yeah. Now, one of the stipulations of belonging to a sailing club is you have to race. Oh. Well, <laughs> I'd never learned sailing in my life. And the only times I'd taken a boat out, I got into terrible trouble. Well, you've got to race. So I had to do it. So I bought some books and learned about it and learned a lot about the physics, which is very important. And um, became actually quite good at dinghy sailing. Wow. <laughs> it was rather funny. Jane Heron with the boat that's a heron. Um, <laughs> so that was what I did for the next four years that I lived in Sydney before I was snaffled away to Bathurst by my future husband. <laughs> oh, well, I did a lot of um, outrigging around Balmoral did in you? the 90s. Mm. Yes, I spent mm. a lot of time steering for Sydney Outrigger and love being around mm. there on the yeah. water. Yes. So you met a man and he took you to Bathurst. Yes. Well, what I didn't say, maybe should have just snipped in there, was that um, – when I was in practice, I began to think, you know, I don't really know anything. I feel as if I don't know anything. I better. So I went to um, Sydney University Veterinary School. I rang them up and said, are there any jobs going? And they said, we're a bit desperate for a lecturer in anatomy, veterinary anatomy, lecturer in veterinary pathology. Why don't you come along and have an interview? Because you don't do it this like that these yeah. days. So I went along to the veterinary school and met the anatomy people and the pathology people, and I like the anatomy people better, so I took the anatomy job. Oh, wow. And, which was amazing to walk into a lectureship like and that in 1962. How long were you lecturing at the uni? Well, at that, that stage, I mean, I've done it since then, but at that, that, that was a four-year stint till, till I met a Bathurst boy. So you... Oh, that brings <laughs> up another question. So you were lecturing in anatomy? In veterinary anatomy, yes. That must have been interesting. It was fascinating because, you know, it's a cliche, but the best way to learn a subject is to was, teach it. I was going to say improve your skills. Absolutely marvellous. I loved it. Um, so I learned so much and studied so hard to try and keep a step ahead of the students. And you actually then met a lot of the future vets Oh, yes, an Australia. awful lot around that I know. You know. I can say, oh, yes, I taught that, that wow. person. We were mostly men because, well, when I was at university, there were six women and 70 men. Now it's the other way around. And when I was lecturing at Sydney, it was mostly men as well, nearly all men. Where did you meet your husband? Um, well, I don't want to make it a very long story, but I made a great friend in the veterinary profession called Joan Cater, who um, was a veterinary research worker, and we became firm friends, and we were both on the committee of the Australian Veterinary Association together, and um, I was living alone then, and um, she, her family had a farm out um, near Rockley, which is out west of Bathurst, south of Bathurst, really west, very cold place. And she said, how about coming and having Christmas with our family? I thought, lovely. So anyway, we went out there, you know, a long way away. Getting right back to your roots with the horses and the animals. Absolutely true. And, um, of course, in the country, as I discovered then for for my next 33 years living in the country, um, you know, they're great luncheon givers and, and all the big homesteads and the grazers, they all invite each other over. So this was a big Christmas party with a 
you know, people from all around. And Joan suddenly grabbed my arm and said, Jane, you must come and meet this young man called Michael Stevenson, who's just been elected to Bath City Council. So she dragged me over to see this young man called Michael Stevenson. And I suppose you could say the rest is history. <laughs> so um, so uh, we eventually, well, we got very good friends and got engaged and went back to England to be married. And of course, he was a Bathurst, he's a lawyer. And uh, we his practice was in Bathurst, so that's where I lived. And all my children were born and brought up in Bathurst. How many children? Four. Four children. Mm-hmm. In order, boys, girls? In order, boy. Boy, girl, boy. Okay. Well, that sounds. Uh, it's. I know your life in Bathurst was wonderful, and mm, you practiced was. as a vet. I practiced as a vet there. I did a lot of teaching because there was uh, in those days there were technical colleges which have been practically abolished now. So I used to teach a lot at the tech. Um, I, I wrote courses for farmers for you know looking after cattle, sheep, horses, and, and they were very well attended. And also, um, I lectured at. Charles Sturt University um, to the nursing students and taught anatomy because human anatomy and veterinary anatomy. Oh, <laughs> you never yeah, cease to amaze thing. me. Jane, <laughs> Desperado. Oh, another song that makes me cry for a different reason in a way. Now, I, always, I used to think my life was just packed with sad farewells. Oh. <laughs> because, of course, there was a big farewell when I sailed to Australia. Um, and then my daughter, as she grew up, she wanted to... She, she, she's an actor, an actress. I really think it's quite okay to say it's not PC. She's an actress. And um, she grew up and uh, did an acting course at university. And then she got the Wanderlust too. And so off she went first to... Um, Amsterdam for three years, and then to New New York for eight years, and so every now and again she'd pop home, and then she'd sadly go away again. It was terrible, and she's a musician, and she used to play on the piano this song Desperado, and it always seemed to be coincident with the time when she was just about to go off back on the other side of the world, and so it for that reason I've associated with all these sad farewells, but it's it's a wonderful song, I think. Well, we're going to listen to Desperado. You mm. can have another good cry, <laughs> and then we have to come back and talk about Water Under the Bridge mm. and a few other things like that. <laughs> Desperado. Welcome back. You're listening to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. To find out more, go to the website rnb.org. Jane, could you pass me that box of tissues, please? <laughs> yes. I thought that was beautifully sung. And the singer was South Korean. Um, yes. I'm afraid I forget his name. Oh, you may I have did. it written down. No, I don't have it here with me, but I looked it up. Jim. Jim. Uh, um, Bum. Yeah, but Bum is the surname. Yes, yeah, yes, a beautiful yes. singer. Yes, lovely. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Jane. Water Under the Bridge, we've discussed that on the way here today. Mm. I guess Water Under the Bridge is has become my philosophy of life. It never used to be. Um, really what it means is um, what's done is done. Let it go. No regrets. No regrets. No regrets. Non, je ne regrette rien, as, as Edith Piaf said. <laughs> Beautiful. But, <laughs> but it's true. Um, I think whatever happens to you, makes you grow 
in some way or another as long as you let it. I don't do bitterness. And, uh, you know, there have been some nasty things happened to me at times. I mean, my mother became an alcoholic, which was terrible for the family, of course. Um, my marriage eventually, eventually we parted, although I'd like to say that my husband and I, who now lives in Brisbane, are terrific friends because he's a gorgeous man. Um, and things like this. And I say, well, look, if something bad's happened, let it go. It's water under the bridge. It's what happens from now on that matters. And you're, you are the person who's in control of what happens from now on. You can put that out of your mind or you can dwell on it. Yeah, no one else can do it for no you. No one else can do it for you. I went through a phase in my life where I, I was full of bitterness about various things that had happened and my, my mind was in turmoil and it, it nearly destroyed me. And um, I gradually learned through um, various ways, well, just one way really, that, that I can put this out of my mind and get in control of my own mind again. And that's what I did. And now that's my philosophy. So I say this to people, let it go. Mm. <laughs> Frozen, that, another good song. <laughs> that, yeah, that ruminating over things over and over oh. again, running it through your mind. The mouse on the mouse wheel mm. gets none of us anywhere. No, exactly. And worse than that, it drives us into the ground. Or yeah. It's terrible. Mm. I think that that's a very, very good lesson to learn. Your obsessions, how have they shaped you? Oh, isn't that interesting? Um one of my early obsessions while I was at university was diving. And I don't mean scuba diving. I mean diving off high, bo high diving Ooh, boards. How high? <laughs> oh, well, 10 metres is, is the standard high one. I'd go feet first. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's worse, actually. <laughs> oh. You can see. <laughs> um, and, uh, of course, what's, what that and all my other obsessions have done is they've made me so aware and so sensitive to these things when other people do them. For example, I love watching people dive now and is, because I know how it feels. I learned the cello, started in middle age. And although I never got anywhere, you don't take up you know, the cello in middle age and become brilliant. But, of course, it makes me appreciate wonderful cello playing. Mm. And I played in the... In the orchestra in Bathurst and it makes me appreciate orchestral work so all these obsessions have lent have have led me to appreciate life more more yeah. and more and more and more yeah and sometimes some of these things are so difficult to learn I know when I wrote my book now I appreciate well my book isn't an, a novel but for someone to write a novel I know how difficult it is to write a book of you know a wellness book. Yes. But to write a novel and develop characters, I go, that must be it, so hard. I know, because and my children keep telling me, Mum, you've got to write your life story. And I, but I think it's too hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you've tried abseiling? Oh, lovely. Love it. Marvellous. Exciting. I've done some big abseils. Um, Mount Banks is 500 meters in the blue mountains i've done that twice now it's Ooh. 12 abseils one at a time down to the bottom and um some beautiful canyoning is the most exciting wow. activity you can do so i've done uh, some big canyons there um uh oh gosh they've all gone out of my head all of a sudden but doesn't matter you also no. talk about cycling because you still yes mountain biking it's mountain biking really i love yes because that gets you out into the and wild you're only as well 80. 
Oh, only 81. Oh, okay. Mm, and you still do that? I still do that, oh, yes. I don't, I don't ride in, in Manly, I must say. I'm terrified of the traffic. Yeah. But I've had a wonderful long mountain biking holiday in Italy and in Scotland and Ireland. Never. Uh, the, the traffic's wonderful. They, they, they don't aim for you, which they do, I'm afraid, in Sydney. Well, I want to go to this last song now mm. because um, I still want to talk about what mm. you're currently doing. Mm. So... You're going to have to add the last pits. Come back, Paddy Riley, to... To Bally James Duff. Yet another song that makes me cry. And this is my Irish heritage again. So I'm torn between three countries, really. My, my parents were born and brought up, and everybody, every ancestor before them, in Northern Ireland. And um, this, Bally James Duff, is a little town in Northern Ireland. And once again, it's a, it's a very nostalgic song. And I love Ireland so much. And uh, it just reminds me of that wonderful Irish feeling. And it, he's, he sings it beautifully. Incidentally, the singer is called Paddy Riley. <laughs> yes. Well, come back, Paddy Riley. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station, you are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly. Jane, you see yourself as productive and useful still? Yes, I think so. I, I do. Um, I, I never seem to stop doing something apart from all my own stuff like gardening and snorkeling um i do a day a week working at the australian museum in upstairs in the fish collection and research area because being a snorkeler i'm fascinated of course by marine life and um that's wonderful it's it's i work with the most wonderful colleagues there and we call ourselves the well other people call us the funny fish we call ourselves the happy fish um, or the fish shop we call it sometimes well you know, so many people feel that when they get to being an octogenarian or even earlier that they're not useful. Yes, I think that's a bit silly. I mean, I've had 80 years experience of something. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, but all experience um, takes you through life's journey and you build on it. And um, I, I think I'm pretty useful there. I do a lot of work there and I learn an enormous amount. And that's lovely because my other obsession is gardening and I, I'm in a gardening team um, which is called Easy Care Gardening and we, we go all up and down the northern beaches doing makeovers on gardens for old and infirm people who can't look after their gardens anymore and that's wonderful, I love that. Oh and the love of gardening, I mean my dad was a gardener and I was never into gardening till about 10 years ago mm. and suddenly I discovered there's a lot of things out here that I enjoy doing mm. yes. and plants are amazing oh, and plants. making... Helping them grow. Helping them grow and propagating, you know, and, and they're so forgiving. You know, you can do, I mean, I, I belong to the lawnmower school of pruners, as, as I call it. The lawnmower school of pruners. <laughs> the, meaning if you, if something needs pruning, well, you might as well prune it really well. And the plant springs back. Um, it's better than new. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, I you have to be a bit careful with some things but it's amazing you can't do that with animals you can't keep cutting off bits and pieces and expecting them to improve no I'm sure you <laughs> didn't do that in your days no. um 
Maybe in the muse- in the uh, university, you cut off bits and pieces. Oh, we definitely did a lot of that. Yes, <laughs> I know. One day when you and I were talking about that, I was sort of like, "Oh my goodness, how do you go through that sort of you know?" But how do students learn without that? Yes, and unfortunately, and the medical schools I think have abolished human dissection, and I think a lot of the veterinary schools have now, and there's no other way to understand what's going on than than cut it open and search it out for yourself, and and of course. Uh, form and function are tightly associated with each other. So when you're learning about the form, you're also in the structure. You're learning about the mm. the function too. And I don't see how you can learn the function well if you don't understand the form. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you about the, you know lots of things on your bucket list, mm. but is there a one p- particular thing in your lifetime you still would like to achieve or do? Um, yes. Well, I have two things on my bucket list which are really rather passive in a way but there are there are two places I long to go to um as I think I mentioned earlier I love classical music and Mendelssohn is the most wonderful composer and he wrote this wonderful piece of music called um Hebridean Overture because he spent quite a bit of time in Scotland and um, this Hebridean Overture is often called just Fingal's Cave because in the Hebrides is this amazing cave uh, made of, of granite columns called Fingal's Cave. And he went there and it inspired him to write this marvellous music. If I'd had more time, and, it, and it's not a song, of course, but <laughs> I would have loved to have played it. So I want to go and see Fingal's Cave, and it's very difficult to get to because if the sea's rough, which it mm-hmm. usually is, um, you can't get there. And the other one is, funny enough, also in Scotland, in the same area. It's called the Corrivrecken Whirlpool. And it's the biggest it Sounds permanent. very Scottish. It is very Scottish indeed. And it's, um, the, I think it's the biggest permanent whirlpool in the world, I've heard. And again, it's terribly dangerous. It's between two tiny islands um, in the Hebrides. And, and you obviously go there by boat and you mustn't get too close. You'll be sucked down. And plenty of boats have been sucked down. But, of course, it's all staggeringly beautiful. That's the real thing it's about it. wonderful to hear your sense of adventure and that your sense of adventure is not lessening but growing. Jane, I have a question. I want to ask this to more of my guests. But what does ageing fearlessly mean to you? Yes, it's, a, it's an in, interesting question. I, I think the main thing is not to feel as if you're getting any older just keep on doing what you've done all your life just try new things and do all the things you enjoy as much as possible uh, more than anything make the most of your family I mean my, my wonderful children my wonderful grandchildren I've got four um, I think you know time's limited we have to know we know <laughs> one day we won't be here so make Every minute of, of that time count that you're with them. Um, and sometimes I get a bit sad, I think, of death. I think of death quite a bit, not in a morbid way. Just so sad to think I've got to leave this wonderful life. I'm so happier now than I've ever been in my whole life. I live in paradise and I think I have a fairly heavenly existence, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I love, like, having sat with you just a few weeks ago when I saw you walking down the path and we just had this conversation at Fairlight and I'd always wanted to get you in here but I knew there was so much that I could learn from you and how inspiring you are. So to my listeners, would you 
say a farewell, please, Jane. Uh, yes, um, it's been just wonderful sharing this with Karen and, and with you who are listening, I hope. And uh, I'd just like to say, look, make everything positive, push the bad things away, water under the bridge, just do take every chance that comes up because, you know, you won't be here forever. None of us will be, so make the most of what, what you have now. <laughs> Well, my, my, my time today has been spent with Jane Stevenson and Jane is a retired vet and she is ageing fearlessly and getting on with all sorts of wonderful things in her life and enjoying every minute. Until next time. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in It's not all nine to five, it's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high, swim across oceans wide. Live out our dreams, just you and me. Let your heart be alive. There's no time to Gotta go get the most out of time Don't be afraid Like this treasure that you've got to find Baby, don't be shy Let's go and take that ride Taste the sweet and the spice Everything nice Let your heart just let your heart come alive, honey. Let your heart be alive.